Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner, and we want to welcome back our guest speaker, Dr. Gonzalez. Uh, if you haven't caught our part one episode of the different issues that we can see in the upper GI setting, some of the the, the problems or the pitfalls in our, our anesthesia monitoring devices, our plan, our oxygenation, I really encourage you to go back uh, and listen to that that first episode. To start with this second episode, we want to address some of the safety problems specifically for staff members. Again, this has really been brought into the forefront during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we kind of want to talk about and discuss the different risk factors that uh, address our safety problems throughout these procedures. And then after that, we're going to jump into what are the solutions. Um, it's always good to end with some positive information of how we can fix some of these downfalls or how we can fix some of these risk factors or complications that can develop during these procedures. So Dr. Gonzalez, just to start us off here, uh, like I said, in the last section, you really focused on patient safety and hypoxia during upper endoscopy. Now you discussed a lot of the, the risk factors that can contribute to hypoxia and thereby endanger the patients, which is the the primary pitfall here is our goal is to provide the best, uh, most adequate care to these patients. Uh, but you also publish dangers that are posed to the providers and the staff. And so we do want to take a couple minutes to talk about the actual staff, including ourselves. Um, what are the different dangers that are brought to us during these type of procedures in the endoscopy suite, uh, the recovery areas due to these patients coughing? during these procedures. Um, can you kind of discuss about this topic uh, just to our listeners about how to better protect ourselves? Of course, I'd be happy to. Uh, first of all, it's no secret that the endoscopy suite is not exactly the cleanest room in the world. Uh, feces, diarrhea, bloody stool, and vomit are fairly commonplace and in fact abound in the uh, endoscopy room but there's a more subtle environmental hazard that's always concerned me. And that is patients coughing during and after upper endoscopy, both in the endo room and in the PACU. This almost universal coughing is of course, a result of the endoscope irritating the upper airway and inciting the very powerful cough reflex. As a result of this nearly universal coughing, although I'm really not a neurotic germaphobe, I've always worn a surgical mask and eye protection for upper endoscopies. But I would say that the majority of providers and staff in the endoscopy suite were a bit cavalier and did not wear masks nor eye protection routinely during upper endoscopy, despite patients frequently coughing in close proximity to their faces. Well, this all changed very abruptly in the spring of 2020 with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. By March of 2020, it was fairly well established that the coronavirus was transmitted primarily via the respiratory route and specifically in invisible aerosol clouds, which could travel for meters, linger in the air, and settle on surfaces, equipment, pens, computer keyboards, etc. The pandemic and the risk of aerosol spread created a lot of concern, understandably, for staff involved with upper endoscopies both in the endo room and in the PACU. So now, 
upper endoscopy generated cough and aerosol production became a very serious health hazard for healthcare workers. All patients, staff, and visitors in our hospital were were required to wear surgical face masks for source containment. But of course, the patient's mask had to be removed prior to the start of the upper endoscopy. But more on this a bit later. So for those of you that have been with us from the beginning of the first part of this episode and now for this episode as well, we've talked a lot about the challenges, the problems associated with upper endoscopy. Dr. Gonzalez, you also mentioned that you had some solutions. So we're, we're ready for the solutions. If you've got them, uh, let's talk about how we can manage these patients. What are some things that we can do to better manage these patients in the endoscopy suite? Oh, good. We finally come to the uh, good news part of the uh, We're there. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so late in 2018, as a patient safety initiative, my department began to investigate the available options for reducing hypoxia during upper endoscopies. There were a number of relatively new products on the market and some experimental and even homemade devices in the literature that attempted to address this problem. These included nasal CPAP devices, laryngeal mask airways or LMAs with an additional port for insertion of an endoscope, which of course required essentially general anesthesia. The new high flow nasal oxygen or HFNO systems, which deliver humidified super high flow, 50 to 100 liters per minute oxygen, and various other devices. Ideally, we were seeking an FDA-approved, low-cost, easy-to-use, user-friendly device that would be well-tolerated by patients and not require general anesthesia. After a pretty extensive literature search, I came across a small online ad and description of an oxygen delivery system called the POM, P as in Peter, O as in Oscar, M as in Mary, or procedural oxygen mask, which is being manufactured by a small company in California. This really caught my attention. The description and the small picture in the ad seemed intriguing, so I tracked down a local anesthesia equipment distributor that carried the procedural oxygen mask in his product line. He sent me the package insert, which confirmed my suspicion that this product had merit. And so I ordered a case for our department to trial. So this procedural oxygen mask or POM is a disposable, single-use, FDA-approved, clear plastic oxygen mask that resembles very much a traditional familiar O2 mask, except that it includes self-sealing oral and nasal endoscopy ports and a capnography sampling port. Because the capnography sampling port is positioned between the patient's nose and mouth areas, it reliably samples exhaled carbon dioxide, whether the patient is primarily mouth or nose breathing, which is a very nice clinical feature. The POM connects via the uh, enclosed standard O2 tubing to any standard oxygen flow meter. Like a traditional oxygen mask, the POM contains a one-way exhalation valve. And in addition, the POM comes packaged with an included attachable O2 reservoir side bag. I personally always attach and use the O2 reservoir bag because it allows me the option of delivering the highest possible FiO2. 
When used with the O2 reservoir bag with O2 flows of 10 to 15 liters per minute, the procedural oxygen mass provides FiO2s from 88 to 95%, which is far superior to conventional standard nasal cannula. So as a result, the procedural oxygen mask achieved all of the goals that we were looking for. It provides reliable FiO2 delivery of 90 to 95% oxygen at flow rates of 10 to 15 liters per minute when the O2 reservoir bag is, is used. It also allows easy endoscopic access to the nose and mouth via the self-sealing endoscopy ports. And finally, it provides reliable, high-quality, continuous exhaled CO2 monitoring via the capnography sampling port. The high inspired oxygen levels de delivered by the palm allow effective maximal pre-oxygenation to be achieved efficiently and routinely prior to the start of sedation and endoscopy and for much higher FiO2s to be maintained if needed throughout the case compared to nasal cannula. And of course, the FiO2 can be titrated up or down as necessary or desirable simply by increasing or decreasing the O2 flow rate on the flow meter. When I first came across this type of procedural mask, I was blown away similar to you with just the idea that most of the, the sites I did clinical at when I was in school did not have this. And one of the, the places that I went to utilized this mask and I was blown away because I had been to so many places that you know, simply use the nasal cannula and, and the patients, A, just coughing all over the place. So we're not protected. They're not oxygenated near as well. There's just a whole slew of problems that go on with just simply using nasal cannula. And similar to you, I was just amazed when I found this mask at this one facility. And just like you talked about, it has these slits that the proceduralists can go ahead and, and advance their scope through. Um, it allowed me to pick up the entitle at a, at a very reliable place. Uh, I, I overall just love the, the mask. So would you, Dr. G, be able to elaborate just on how do you use this procedural oxygenation mask or this POM mask in your practice for these type of cases? Sure. So initially, I began by using the POM in January of 2019 on just selected high-risk patients, such as patients with morbid obesity obstructive sleep apnea, pulmonary disease, cardiac disease, patients with known anemia, frail and elderly patients, and for all of my ERCPs and bronchoscopies. But then I quickly realized that there are many patients with undiagnosed sleep apnea and cardiopulmonary disease and anemia. I also realized that many of our younger patients were more anxious and had more active airway reflexes and therefore required deeper sedation. So I started to use the palm routinely, basically for all of my upper GI endoscopies. One day I was called to provide sedation for an add-on TEE in the cardiology suite. And when I walked over, I found a super morbidly obese patient with a BMI of 47 with severe obstructive sleep apnea on home CPAP with a class four malampati airway. So I ran back to the GI endoscopy suite, got a palm mask, and what could have been a disastrously difficult case wound up going very smoothly. I've also used the palm in the OR for semi-awake fiber optic intubations for patients with known or anticipated difficult airways, also with extremely satisfactory results. 
So basically, by the end of 2019, the Palm had become my routine default oxygen delivery system for all upper endoscopies, without exception. But then towards the end of 2019, I kind of incidentally noticed a rather pleasant side, side benefit of the Palm. I realized that it functioned as a mechanical barrier to coughing. But with the start of the COVID-19 pandemic a few months later in the spring of 2020, I published an article in the Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation, the APSF newsletter, sharing this important new aerosol protective feature of the procedural oxygen mask. And since that time, the POM became our routine default O2 delivery system for all upper endoscopies. Patients wear their surgical masks into the endoscopy room. And as soon as the surgical mask is removed, the palm is placed on the patient and it's left in place during the endoscopy, during transport to, and for the duration of the PACU stay until the patient is maintaining good O2 sats on low FiO2s and is no longer coughing. At that point, the palm is discarded, replaced with a surgical mask until the patient leaves the hospital. Uh, so during the height of the pandemic, and then again this summer during the threat of the Delta variant, all of our endoscopy and PACU staff to a person have expressed appreciation that patients are no longer coughing unimpeded directly towards their faces. Like we talked about in the last episode, while we're doing these cases, you often will have occlusion of the airway simply by the scope that is being advanced or whatever procedure you are doing. And like Dr. Gonzalez mentioned in the last episode, you have these very potent reflexes, the gag reflex, your laryngospasm reflex, and also your cough reflex. And so while we're doing these procedures, it's one of the, the most common procedures where you're also going to have these patients possibly coughing. And sometimes you can give them all the sedation in the world and they still, this reflex will still cause the patient to cough. And so, like you mentioned, this is just a, a a perfect solution for that. So I, I guess it, it makes sense academically, but how has this changed your practice overall? How have you seen a difference uh, in your personal practice? By reducing the risk of hypoxia to our patients and by reducing the exposure of our endoscopy staff to aerosolized airborne pathogens like COVID-19, the POM has made a huge positive contribution to our practice. Um, I believe it represents a tremendous improvement in both patient and staff safety. Uh, and as a great new tool in our bag of tricks, it has made providing sedation for upper endoscopy, frankly, a lot less stressful and much more gratifying for me as a provider. Well, Dr. Gonzalez, we really appreciate you coming on and just taking the time to record these episodes with us and speak to all of our listeners about for one, just the, the risk factors for hypoxia in these cases, the risk factors for us as staff members, and then two, just your journey through realizing these issues and recognizing a, um, in my opinion, very high effective solution to these problems. Uh, and I really do appreciate you coming on and, and explaining all this to us. It's been very beneficial for me uh, just to sit here and record this with you and, and move through this step-by-step -step is just very enlightening. Um, there's a lot of times where we, we learn things academically and then just actually moving them over to the clinical practice. Um, sometimes there's a gap there. Um, and it's just very 
helpful just to walk through things step by step, um, combine it to a clinical practice type picture. So I really appreciate you doing that for us. Uh, just to wrap up here, just I wanted to ask, is there any other words of wisdom that you would like to, to pass on to any of our listeners or audience? Um, anything that you would like to, to add to, to what you've said in these last two talks? Sure. If I can leave you with a few uh, final pearls of wisdom, it would be uh, that number one, upper endoscopies should be viewed as challenging, potentially high-risk anesthetics. Uh, number two, we should adopt the zero-tolerance approach to the hypoxia during endoscopy. And number three, routine use of the procedural oxygen mask instead of nasal cannula of maximal pre-oxygenation, continuous capnography, unrushed titration of sedation, vigilance, and early assertive intervention when hypoventilation, apnea, or airway obstruction is suspected can help us achieve those worthwhile goals. Uh, with that, I conclude. And uh, I thank you very genuinely for this really fun and terrific opportunity um, to share some of this on your excellent platform. Once again, I thank you. It's been fun. I'd like to echo what Cole said. It's been our pleasure, Dr. Gonzalez, to have you join us on these last two episodes. Your years of experience and expertise on this topic has really led to a great conversation, which I know is, like Cole said, has been valuable to us. And so I'm confident our listeners will feel likewise. So thank you. You're very welcome.